Welcome to the Encourageous Podcast. My name is Angel Clark, and I'll be your host. Everyone goes through difficult things in life, but it takes a special type of person to use their pain to help others. That's exactly the kind of people you're going to hear from here on Encourageous. Each episode will tell the story of someone who not only survived their struggle, but is thriving. Join us for vulnerable, firsthand testimonies that will inspire you to press on. Get ready to be encouraged. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Encourageous podcast. I want to thank you all for listening in, you know, the past couple weeks that you have been during this pandemic. I appreciate your support. Um, If you don't mind, if you go to Apple Podcast, if you like or rate or review any of that fun stuff that will help get the word out about this little podcast um, and get more people encouraged. So precursor, um, my kids are home and my husband is not home, which usually he's here to watch my kids for me. So I apologize in advance if you guys hear my kids knocking on the door or asking for a snack or something, you know, something of the sort. So anyways, moving right along. Um, I'm excited for today's guest. Her and I have actually never met in person. So this is something very new to me. Um, I like getting to know people on a personal level before I interview them. So this is kind of doing it backwards, but I'm still very excited for today's interview. So Melissa, welcome. Thank you. Um, So I'm Melissa. Um, I'm 28 years old and I'm in recovery. April 24th will be two years for me. Um, I'm recently married and I have one daughter. Her name is uh, Viviana. She's three years old and um, I'm just excited to share. I'm excited to shed light on a situation on a really, I don't know if I would call it a situation, but just something that's occurring um, every day right outside our doors um, that I really really feel that people need to hear about and um, see a different light to it as opposed to what's in the media or what's in movies um, and just kind of look out for it. Yes. Um, So um, I guess (laughs) I'll start start out with um, the beginning of my addiction, which was about 10 years ago. Um, I'm not going to go into too much detail, but you know, addiction took me down a path that of course no one really wants to go down and you do things that you don't want to do yeah. um, or that you say you'll never do oh, um, you know I'll never steal cheat lie all of that um and so my day was it looked it looked okay from the outside for a long time because I was able to still have a job still um you know, have a roof over my head and and pay, pay bills and things like that. But, um, I could never like thrive and succeed because the drugs were always had a hold on me. Um, and so fast forward through the 10 years, um, I had just had my daughter Viviana and I was living with my parents at the time because I didn't have, you know, the means to really support her by myself. And, um, you know, one day I was still using in their household, even after I had her, even though I told myself, you know, she, she would be the, the cure all, the fix all, everything. Um, she wasn't. And so when she was about six months old, um, I was kicked out and, you know, they told me that I had to leave her 
with them in their care or else you know they would call and involve DCF and um, and I knew that that was the best option you know for her and so I did I left her with my parents and I became homeless in Tampa um that's where I'm originally from is Tampa Florida and and I had my car um which kind of ended up being something that was awful and used against me so I tried the whole couch surfing thing but like I had burned every bridge as far as family and friends and so the people that I was associating with and being around I didn't really know I just knew because I knew them because of drugs you know that's what we had in common yeah and so that shortly ended because you know people you just you never know um I got involved with some crazy people but I started using um homeless shelters I started using that as like a safe place to sleep and stay and kind of like try to get myself together try to go um you know get a job and just things like that and it you know it never worked and when I was at a homeless shelter I came across this woman who I would say was like a mother figure to me um that's what she tried to be like that role you know I was very vulnerable and she really kind of you know despite her own addiction which I think as addicts too we try to like help and save the other person Mm -hmm. more than ourselves because in our minds it's doable yep um and so she had an alcoholic she has an alcoholic problem so I try to like help her and then she was also trying to like be this motherly figure to me because I was just absolutely devastated that I wasn't with my daughter and um what ended up happening was that she was really manipulating me and kind of like rehearsing me into this lifestyle of, of being trafficked and I didn't even know it and she had introduced me to my trafficker and I'm gonna be really vague with their names and really everything because um well, you'll, you'll find out, but, um, she introduced me to him and he was at first, I thought like a really cool, kind guy, you know, he like gave me whatever drugs I wanted without having to pay. Um, he looked out for me, protected me as did she, you know, like on the streets. Cause that's so scary. Um, And I remember one day at a Wendy's, it was like this exchange and I just saw it. I was there and I saw it and it was an exchange of money, not a lot, but for her it was, you know, and it was pretty much like, that was it from that point. I had no, I had no freedoms. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't dress the way I wanted to. I couldn't, um, talk to my family I couldn't talk to strangers I couldn't look at people in the eye um I was pretty much subject to this man's beck and call um and whatever he wanted me to do which was you know sleep with his clients as he called them and um and it was just disgusting I don't even I get sick when I think about it to be honest with you and I don't I don't like to go back there, mm. but I think it's important that I, I've mentioned my addiction before all this, because it wasn't like all of a sudden I was walking down the street 
being the best mom ever and I was just like taken captive or my family needed money so they sold me or anything like that Mm -hmm. it was my lifestyle and my choices that kind of led to all this yeah and when someone's in that mindset of being so weak and and vulnerable and and your self-worth is so low Mm. you know they can settle for that yeah and for me I, I couldn't I couldn't settle for that I had a baby to fight for I had I just I just knew like this was not it I was like god this this cannot be it you know and I had known god in middle school and I was very um involved in, in my relationship with him and so I knew what that felt like and I knew I had strayed it's been a long time but that's really one of the points where I just cried out to him and um you know, I, like I had mentioned, I wasn't really allowed to talk to my family, my daughter, nothing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did have a, a cell phone and they were holding it like all the time in my car. They were driving it and they were using that a lot to like transport drugs and me and, and just everything. And um, one day my mom reached out. This was like three months into it. My mom reached out and she offered to meet me at a restaurant next to this crappy motel that we were staying at. So looking back on it now, I think she was tracking my phone because there's no way she would have known yeah. where I was. Um, or like that walk that would have been, it was literally like a block down the road, you know? And for some odd reason, he let me go meet her. And I knew that he was going to like either follow me or like be in the restaurant or whatever the case was, um, but I didn't care. I just wanted to see my, my mom and my daughter. Um, and so I think it was because I was always, always so submissive mm-hmm. to him. I don't think he ever really, like, it wasn't a, a red flag for him when this happened. Yeah. And so um, she met me at an olive garden next to, so like at, at Bush Gardens in Tampa, it's like yeah. an amazing amusement park, but like the next road over is awful. And there was a, a roadway in, and um, there's an olive garden next to them. And so we met there and she presented me with the information and the paperwork to go into a program called Teen Challenge. Okay. And um, it's a year long faith-based recovery program. And I knew I needed it. Yeah. Year long scared me because of my daughter. But besides that, there's nothing that was like stopping me or like, no, you know, I wanted it. I knew I needed it. Um, I knew I was going to die soon. You know, I was constantly being threatened with a gun, drugs. I mean, the drugs that I was taking at this point were drugs I never took. I never took the hardcore drugs um, up until this point. And I didn't have a choice about what I was taking either. So I knew it was very short, short time before I was going to be either dead or, you know, in prison for a long time. And so I was willing. um, However, you know, I was like praying in my head. I was like, I don't know where he is right now. But, you know, as we're walking out of the restaurant, I look over and there's like a, a bush hedge, you know, and, and he's standing right there. Mm. And he can see me, my daughter, who I'm holding, and my mom. And I knew he had a gun and I knew he was crazy. He wasn't level headed at all. You know, he was very erratic. And so I had to make a choice in that moment. And I, I gave my daughter back to my mom and I just like, can't go. And the look on her face, like we had just got finished talking about how like, come home with us. She was like, come home with me. We'll get you packed up. Everything's set up. I'll drive you up to Jacksonville. You know, this can, we can make this happen within the next couple of days. And I was like, I can't go. And she didn't understand what was going on. 
And so that night I went back to the hotel room or motel and I just prayed and I was just like, Lord, please, like, if this is, if this is something that you want me free from, if this is something that, you know, I don't need to be living in, like set me free tomorrow, you know, not the next week, not in a month, like tomorrow, I don't have much time. I think you hear me, you know, I was just desperate. I was so desperate. And, um, I was sitting in my car the next day at a gas station that they had sold their drugs at. And literally like when my car would pull up, it was like cockroaches and all of these people would just come out and just swarm to it. And it was in such a bad area. And, um, somehow I don't really know, honestly, besides it, it being God, what happened? Cause they just weren't around for like longer than 10 minutes. And I was like, what is going on? And usually he had this, um, another guy that he would leave with me just to make sure nothing happened or, you know, I didn't run off and stuff like that. And I, I guess I built up, I think it was a combination of like, I guess I built up a good rapport with them that I wasn't going to run. And then also, you know, they were also doing drugs and stuff. So I'm sure they weren't in their right mind. Um, anyways, they went around. And so after like the 10 minutes, which is probably the longest I've been alone for about three months, um, I just booked it. I took my car drove and well good for you yeah I know it's crazy it is crazy it's nothing but God like when I say that part of the story everyone's like that was it you just drove off I'm like yeah like I just drove and I called my mom immediately changed my number um she lives in like the suburbs of Tampa so it's pretty far out um like in the country and so I just drove there and you know within a couple days I was in teen challenge and gosh when I first got there I couldn't even I didn't look at people in the eye I didn't speak I didn't do anything and my mom she like still I don't she's we we don't really talk about it much but when I went to her house I was literally covered head to toe in bruises and so and like my and handprints and stuff and so those scars I wore for a while mm-hmm. um and it's just crazy to me that this could happen in such a short amount of time. Um, and I'm, I'm grateful that it was only a short amount of time. You know, I know women who go through it for years and don't make it out and, um, you know, who have different circumstances than me. But what I see now when I look around in society and I see what everyone thinks would be a prostitute or a hooker, and I see a guy standing around the corner staring at her at a gas station or in the car or something like I know what's going on now yeah because I was that girl and I was that girl that was forced to like solicit herself in parking lots and things like that while someone watched and you know my heart breaks because I don't know what to do to help them right now mm-hmm. um it's actually it's another God thing. My husband worked for a human trafficking um, nonprofit organization before we ever met. And so he has like training and just different tools that he knows how to use when we see a woman who's going through that. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times if they're in front of their trafficker, mm-hmm. we're putting them in a lot more danger than yeah. we are helping them. Yeah. And so, you know, I would say to someone who is in this situation right now, just to pray Mm. and um any moment alone 
start thinking, start thinking of different ways that you can get yourself free. And I know this is something that just seems like so like, of course, Melissa, of course they're thinking about that, but sometimes they don't have moments alone. They don't go pee alone. You know, you don't go do anything alone. And so, you know, if there's a number on the back of a, a stall door in the bathroom that you can finally go to, or, or try to go to the bathroom in public or try to, you know, say you need help. I don't know what besides that, that's still something that I'm coming up with. And then I'm trying to figure out um, but I would just say pray and just know that you don't deserve to be in the situation that you're in right now and that every woman is completely priceless and valuable or man or child. That's, yeah. that's another thing too. Well, you know, I saw men and I saw children. It wasn't just me. So, and for the families, don't stop looking. Yes. You know, don't, don't give up. Don't stop looking. And um, we actually have a family member who disappeared three years ago because of this on my husband's side, and we don't know where she is. Mm. So, but we've never stopped. We've never, like, you know, given up hope. So I think now I live my life with the extra caution. I don't like to go places alone. Oh, I don't yeah. like to... Um, you know, I don't like to do a lot of things that people would consider normal, but um, I just know how easy it is for someone to take advantage of you. And um, it was cool though, because I got to help other women who came through the Doors of Teen Challenge. Oh yeah. Same thing. Because it's not talked about, so. Mm, I know, and actually, so the first I heard of this was in 2018, um, I went to this convention with a couple of my friends in Chicago and it was about essential oils, which you would think has nothing to do with human trafficking. So the different speakers are coming up. Um, and then like the founder of the company, all of a sudden this guy comes up and his name is Ben Cooley and he's the founder of an organization called hope for justice, which is, um, an anti-trafficking nonprofit. And he gets up there and he starts sharing some of the stories of the women that he was able to rescue some of the children he was able to rescue. And I instantly, like, I just started bawling. Cause I was like, this really happens. Like that, you know, you see the movie taken and things like that. And you're like, Oh, that's just Hollywood. They're coming up with all this crazy stuff. No, this stuff actually happens to real people in real life. And to hear the stories and like, even like people like you, now I can actually say, cause people always think, Oh, well that happens, but not where I live. No, it happens everywhere. There, so he wrote a book and I ended up buying the book because I was just so like curious to read it um, and just to get more information. And I think he said it's like 169 countries or something, including America, obviously has human trafficking. And it just blew my mind to think like everywhere in your, like you said, now, if you see a woman who's on the street corner before we might've judged her. And now we might actually be like, oh, wait a minute, maybe this woman is a victim. It's totally changed my mindset of that's something that would have never crossed my mind to think that, I mean, I live in central Florida, like I'm, that's just a couple hours away from me where you were, where that was happening. You know, it's not mm -hmm. some India or somewhere far that people think it happens. So, um, I guess I, my other question would be, um, I know in your situation, it was like your addiction led to you being vulnerable, but I know, like you said, in other situations, um, in the book I read the, what the founder of hope for justice wrote, it's called impossible is a dare. And he said that some people were sold by their families 
-hmm. like this one girl her uncle sold her like to do hers was actually forced labor so it was a little different than yours but still I mean working like 16 hour days not getting like one story broke my heart was um it was these children they were between the ages of five and seven tiny tiny babies like that I can't even think about that um their master you know I'm doing air quotes but the guy who bought them would eat his dinner and then if he had anything left he would scrape it on the floor and the kids would have to like eat it like a dog like go over and crawl and eat the crumbs and there were four kids so I mean can you imagine they weren't even getting anywhere near enough food so I guess my question is do you know like do you have any advice about maybe how to avoid those situations or or what to do if you you know if you find yourself in that situation, like how to reach out, maybe like any, just any advice whatsoever pertaining to that. Um, I think when it comes to kids as a mom, if we're in a day and age where you really can't trust many people mm. and you never know who's living in someone else's house, let's say for like a sleepover or mm -hmm. let's say that that uncle who sold his niece mm -hmm. was living with her mom and they were having sleepovers and it wasn't just the niece that was sold. It was the friend too. And just things like that, like to always really be on guard. Like yep. I know for me, for my daughter, if she spends the night at someone's house, it's going to be someone that I know for years. Yep. And that I know their entire family. I know there's probably not going to be a lot of males there. Um, because you just never know. And to me, it's not worth taking that risk, to be honest. Yeah. Um, his kids, like, could you imagine? No, oh, that breaks my heart, you know? Yeah. Could no. you imagine? They don't know what to do. So I think as moms and dads and whoever is a guardian, it's our job to be extra, extra cautious. And I know in today's society, we get ridiculed and made fun of for not being a certain way or not being open or, or whatever whatever but we have intuition we know what's best for our children and I think it's just to keep them as safe as possible and um even out in public like just be aware of your surroundings you know if you ever feel like you're not in a good place like just leave you know I've had like people come up to me like men come up to me as I'm putting groceries away and be like can I help you and I'll freak out I'm like, oh. <laughs> no <laughs> Like, I freak out because it's like I've had situations before where mm -hmm. a guy would come up to me. I don't want to get into that. But it's just just to be aware of their surroundings, have protection, even if it's just pepper spray or something. You know, I carry my keys a certain way, like in between my hands with my thing out. So it's just those little things. Um, and just like what area you're in, too, if you're going into a bad side of town. You know, maybe leave your kids with a husband or or you know, a good friend or something, someone from church. I don't know. It's just, I'm my poor daughter. She's going to be so <laughs> like, hey, you know, like you said, it goes back to what you said. Like all that matters is that you keep her safe. Um, cause I actually, I don't have a similar story to you, but my mom was abused in her first marriage, um, by her husband, obviously not even by a stranger. And so some of the stuff that you're saying, like, I already do, like, I'm, I already carry my keys that way. Like, so I just think it's smart and like, um, I'm constantly looking around like, and not only is the thing that you pointed out that I also want to really point out is that sometimes you have to be cautious of women too, because who coerced yeah. you 
in the first place was a woman. And that book that I read, there were plenty of stories about like, this one girl was homeless. And so she bought a bus ticket to try to get to, I don't remember where she was going. Um, and on the bus, she met this girl who was about her same age and they were, became friends like, oh, and she's like, oh, cool. Whenever we get to the city, we should hang out, da, da, da. Well, on the way there, she handed her a Coke. She put drugs in the Coke. And so when she got off the bus, she was kind of like dazed and out of it and trafficker took her. So I think it's important to not only be cautious of men, but just of everyone, you know, because you never know. Some people, I know it's terrible, but people have ulterior motives and you just, in the way things are today, you can't be too careful, you know, and I, I'm with you. I would much rather someone call me crazy and paranoid than for me to put my guard down and put myself at risk, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's a huge point that it was a woman. I think for me, when I was going through my healing and my recovery, it didn't even dawn on me until about six months in mm -hmm. that it was, it was because of a woman. And it was just like, I was like, oh my God. Like, it's like a whole other different level of betrayal though. Cause mm -hmm. we're women, yep. you know, there's to be like that sisterhood. And it's like, wait a minute, she was totally, you know, mm -hmm. who knows what he was doing or saying to her to make her do that. But still, you know, it's, it's a fact. Yeah. Now, um, as we said before, we're going to keep things very surface level just for protection. Um, obviously I don't want to put you in danger in any way. For, as far as you know, did anyone involved in the crime skip? prosecuted was there any legal none no and um I never understood that until I really spoke to my husband it's really 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 hard to charge and prosecute someone for human trafficking they literally have to have like written records of what they're doing on them when they get arrested um in order for them to be charged for human trafficking and so I mean it's just really hard. It's really hard to do that. And to be honest with you, when all of this kind of went down, I was scared to, um, to give any information. And you also have to testify against them mm. as a victim. Yep. And that's terrifying too. Mm. I can't so imagine. it's hard to prosecute them because of that. Yeah. Um, and I know that like a couple years ago, the UK came out with this, um, this document that referenced, you know, legal re repercussions that would happen if you know you were caught trafficking or even coercing someone into you know how that lady didn't actually you know quote unquote sell you but she was recruiting you um and the punishments were like laughable i could not even so hope for justice um they talked about i went on their website and there was this group of like eight or nine people from poland who would specifically find people who couldn't speak english and then they would bring them to the uk that way, once they got to the country, they, how do you ask where to go? How do you ask where you don't, you can't speak English. They only spoke Polish. So they were that, you know, further enslaved them. And then on top of that, they would take their passport, any ID, any ID documents they had, they would take them. So they, if they tried to escape, how could you get a job with nothing? You know, how do you even get back home? You don't even know where you are. So they caught the ring of people who were doing it. All of them got sentenced. This is the part that made me so mad. The, the charges were between the eight of them. Some of them got four and a half years and some of them got 11. Wow. I'm like, these people yeah. recruited these people, transported them across the country, stole their documents, forced them to do all this stuff. And they only got four and a half years to 11 years. Jeez. I was like, I can't, I just wanted to like punch my computer screen when I read that. Cause I was like, their hope for justice was like saying, oh cool, we caught these people, whatever. And so I read the article and it was like, they had a maximum combined, like if you combined all their jail time, it was like 30 years. And so that's crazy. 
Something and see if uh, yeah. a first-time drug offender can get that mm. easily. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It's hard to to take them, take them down. I know. And so I, I don't know. I hope that maybe in the future we have, there's some sort of way to, you know, just reform the system to where they're getting harsher punishments because it's, I can't even imagine the stuff, you know, that you went through and here are these people are just walking free, doing it to probably hundreds of other people too, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Ugh. Either that or they're dead just because of their drug use. Yeah. So it's just a sad situation all around, you know? Yep. It is. Um, did you ever kind of like, so yours was three months, you said? Yeah. It was about three months. Um, I'm surprised that they even let you have a phone because for most of the stuff I read, that's not typical. They, they took my phone. I, it was my phone, but they always had it. Like mm-hmm. I never could use it for my own personal yeah. use. And so it was really odd when my mom yep. did text and reach out that he was like, here, it was just odd, you know, but he was always over my shoulder watching mm-hmm. to see like, you know, what I was saying or what I was replying, but they used it for um, just getting a hold of like their different, I don't even know, to be honest, like, I guess like different drug dealers and things like that. Um, cause it was a different number that the cops weren't used to cause they were always so paranoid about cops too, you know? Oh, yeah. So, um, yeah, it was weird. And I don't think, honestly, I don't think they were like the most intelligent people <laughs> in everything that they were doing. Um, but I think they were trying and either way, that evil intention in their heart, it made yeah. it hell. But, yeah. I know. I, that's the whole thing about it is it's just, there's literally no other word, just evil. Like it's just, there's no other way to describe it. It's just terrible. Like that people could even do that to a person, you know? And I just don't understand. I just like some of the stories I've read, I just, I can't even fathom. Like the people who are the paying clients, that's the other part that gets you is like, no, you know, in your heart of hearts, even if they say, Oh, it's a, you know, uh, whatever, like an establishment or whatever. No, you know, in your heart, they have to know with the way you got, like they were treating you and everything. And then here they come and they're just willing participants. That's the other part that gets me is like, how can people condone that? Yeah. But it's a dark world and people just want what they want and they want instant gratification and they don't care how it comes. Mm. You know, that's the bottom line. And it's, that is the part though. That's like, really scary it's people that you would see every day like in different professions and um you know because they have to have money so that's the part that kind of struck me it was like you guys are supposed to be helping people in society and look what you're doing but it was like their own selfish need and selfish desire was in the forefront and that's all they cared about and um yeah you're right though that's a it's an awful part to it and it's just it's a dark, dark world. Yeah. Well, so let's talk a little bit. Um, obviously you're still in the healing process because I, I don't ever fully believe that going through what you've gone through, you'll be how you were before. Like, you're just not like from what's happened, you're a different person, which obviously you're a stronger person now for having gone through it. And I feel like the same, cause I don't know. If, um, so for everyone who's listening, we have a mutual friend, which is how we were put in contact, which is Kate. Um, Kate was interviewed on, I think episode eight or nine of this podcast. So go back and listen to that. Her and her husband did a two part series and it's amazing. Um, but so I don't know if she told you or not, but I actually, I have a daughter who passed away from cancer and obviously 
I will never be the same person that I was before she passed away. So I feel like not only with your situation, but just anyone who's gone through like a severe type of trauma, you're just, you know, your world kind of is divided into before this happened or, and then after, you know, so I, I can relate to you on that aspect of, you know, you're just not going to be the same as you were, but it doesn't mean you're not still strong and, you know, you're putting a good light out into the world. So you're making a difference. And I believe that by you coming on this podcast, you know, you're giving people hope and you're encouraging people. And so I feel like, you know, God allowed you to go through it so that you can now help other people who are in, in this bad spot, you know? So what my question would be, how has your healing looked? Like what things did you do? Maybe talk about some of the what things they used in Teen Challenge to help you heal or even just how you restored the relationship with your family. You know, can you kind of just give us a journey of what your, what your process of healing has looked like? Yeah. Um, well, first I want to say, I'm sorry. I didn't know about your daughter. Oh yeah. I didn't know if she told you or not. So, and no, but, um, I think I'm, I'm still in my healing. Um, so at Teen Challenge, I would describe Teen Challenge as like a green pasture where God is able to really get you still enough and Mm -hmm. quiet enough to hear him and to start the healing. Yep. And, um, you know, I did a year program there, 13 months actually. And then I stayed on for another seven, eight months for an internship. Oh, And so during that time, I feel like I got most of my healing when I went through my internship. Um, and I was really just pouring out into the other ladies Mm. and really, you know, God was using me to minister to their hearts and just kind of get out of myself. Yeah. also the biggest thing I think that's really helped with my healing is like this attitude of just complete gratefulness Mm. um, where I am even though you know we've traveled awful roads and and like you said like there's a a me before that happened and me after but I'm grateful that I'm here I'm grateful that it was only such a short amount of time Mm. I'm grateful that I just got a glimpse of it and now I can help others still. I'm just grateful for a lot of different things. I'm grateful to be alive and sober. And that perspective change that every day it's choosing to have the perspective of mm. things good. Things are good still. And um, you know, just walking with Christ and letting him get in those deep dark, dark spaces and really surrounding myself with community and people that have walked through it as well. Not necessarily everyone that's been trafficked, but just even in recovery, you know, and, um, and allowing myself to be surrounded with, by people that are like that. And, um, just to kind of, I just needed a rest. I needed a rest for that year, even the year after. I mean, I just needed a rest. And I think that's what my healing has been looking like. My restoration of my family, unfortunately, has been a very, very slow process. Um, they actually still have custody of my daughter. They have temporary custody, which I signed over before all this. Um, and so we're in the middle of a, a custody battle to say, um, but I'm, you know, I don't put God in a box and I know that in time he can heal and he can restore all things. So I think this is just, it's a, it's a growing pain kind of season. You know what I mean? Like, um, I want my daughter back. They have grown very attached to her. Mm. And I think that that's kind of caused, on top of the 10 years of addiction and hell that I put them through, it's caused a lot of 
just tension and pain. And, um, you know, at Teen Challenge, you're there and you're doing good and you see the progress, but your family's not all the time. Mm. And um, so I think it's harder for families who are going through addiction with their loved one to all of a sudden just like, okay, everything's great. We're just going to start on a new path now. We're going to, you know, have this new relationship and, and everything's white clean, you know? And um, I, I mean, for some families it is, some families it is that instant and some it's not. And so my, my, that's my, my story. It's still been difficult to really connect with them and stuff, but um, you know, there's nothing God can't do. So yep. we're getting there. Exactly. I know. And I guess that's something I never really thought about. Um, Cause I know like one of my friends does foster care. And so she sees kids going back to the parents who are still, you know, they're just fresh. They give them like six months. That's not that much time to get your life clean. I mean, you've had years at this point. It's been how yeah. long since two years. Okay. Yeah. So it's been two years. So it's, it's just crazy that some cases it's like the judge says, all right, six months to get your life together. And then boom, right back to the family. So it's like, it's definitely yeah. different. Like every journey is different. Um, but yeah, you know, you'll have your daughter back someday and it's cool. Are you, are you still allowed to like see her? You just can't. Yeah. Well, okay. with this whole virus thing, it's, I haven't visited oh. visit her. Um, but before then we were doing weekly visits, which was, it was really good. But, um, I'm hoping after the 30th, this, you know, it'll go back to normal and, um, <sighs> you know, but I think the main thing is just keeping her safe right now. So, yeah. um, you know, I think motherhood is about sacrifice. I'm sure you know that all too well. And um, this was just something that I had to sacrifice in order to be the best mom I can for her. So I've missed out on a lot of her firsts, but I get to have the rest of her life, yep. you know, and that's what I keep my focus on on my hard days when I feel like it's just impossible or it's just, it's painful. You know, I miss her. Um, that's what I keep my focus on is yeah. I like see her first steps, you know, but the first time she talks to a boy or gets a period or goes to school and things like that, you know, and I'm going to be a mom that's present and there and, um, you know, full of God's wisdom and just ready, ready for whatever life throws at us. Yep. Now, do you, I don't know if this is too sensitive, you don't have to answer, but are you able to have more kids, do you think, due to all this stuff? Like, I, cause I know some women from damage are not able to, like, do you, are you able to maybe try and have more kids someday? I think so. Yeah. Okay. So that's good. So, you know, mm -hmm. so then that's something else positive for you to hang on to is that cause now your husband, does he have kids from prior? Nope. Okay. So then you guys can experience that first together, you know, like you can be around for the first time when he has his first child, you know, there's other yeah. positive things you can look at too. So I feel like that's so important. Um, just because I feel like even if you haven't gone through something, like I know someone who is constantly, constantly posting on Facebook, negative things, the person's just like, oh, well, this happened and this broke and da-da-da and da-da-da. And they really haven't even gone through, you know, especially compared to what you and I've been through, like major, major traumatic things. And yet their mindset is just constantly negative. So I feel like there's something so cool about when someone has gone through like actual really hard, terrible things and they're still able to have, you know, not like a poor me mindset. They're looking for the joy and stuff. So I feel like that's probably why you're doing so well, you know, it's because you're you're not throwing a pity party every day. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And I have strong support around me that won't let me mm -hmm. do that. Yeah. And that's good. I know. Um, all right, so you and Kat, Kate, Kat, I don't know where Kat, Kat mm -hmm. 
Um, you and Kate met at the program? So, no, we both went through it, but her husband and my husband are best friends. Oh. So that's how we met. Okay. Mm -hmm. She's yeah, awesome. Oh, she is. And so I know, like, having a friend like her must be so cool because she shares your journey of going through addiction. So if you're having a rough moment, you can reach out to someone who's, like, been through what you've been through, and she totally gets it. Like, whereas if you reached out to just someone else who hadn't been through addiction, they, they wouldn't quite, you know, understand yeah. as well. So. I feel like that's good is always to have people, you know, who've been through kind of a similar thing or a, the same exact thing even that what you've been through. So that's just some advice I would offer to anyone um, who maybe right now is struggling with something. Reach out to someone who has overcome, I guess, well, overcoming, I guess we should say, but someone who is out on the other side. So whatever it is that you're struggling with, whether it's depression um, or if you want to lose weight, anything you're struggling with. Find people who have had success in that area and reach out to them and hold yourself accountable to them. That's just something I think is good advice just for anyone. Yeah. Secondly, surrounding yourself with people who like, um, my first episode, nope, I think it's my first episode. One of the first episodes of this podcast was someone who had anorexia. And so we shared the story and like a couple weeks later, someone reached out to her and said, listening to your story gave me hope that I can get better someday, you know? And so I always love hearing encouragement like that. So definitely if you're listening to this and you're having a rough time, you know, listen to Melissa's journey, listen to all the other people who've been on this podcast journey. You can go through hard things and you can survive, you know, put your faith in Christ and dig your head in the word and, you know, just pray all the time, <laughs> like surround yourself with support system. Don't be afraid to reach out to people. There's a lot of steps you can take. I think that, you know, that Melissa, you have, you have done yourself to try yeah. to get to a good place. Amen. Yeah, sure. Do you have, before we close out, do you have anything else you want to say? Any, any encouragement, any tips, anything else that we haven't covered yet that you want to expound on a little bit? Um, no, I think that what you just said is, is key. Just keep yourself surrounded and accountable to mm -hmm. people and accountable to someone that is not afraid to give you some tough love. Oh, that's good. You yeah, know, usually, you don't want someone who just sugarcoats everything. Like, oh, you're doing fine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You need it, especially if we're we're stubborn and we're hard-headed and strong-willed and stuff, you know. But um, yeah, yeah. Someone that's not afraid to say the hard things, but say them in love. Mm, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope that someday we can actually meet for coffee in person. You know, I yeah. can actually get to meet you. <laughs> Me not, too. <laughs> not through a computer screen, but I just want to thank you. And I know this was, like you mentioned at one point earlier, um, you don't really like going back to this. So I just want to thank you for being so willing to, you know, kind of reopen the wound for just a minute to, to share your, your story with us. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I'm so grateful that you were willing to come talk to me on here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Of course. Have a good rest of your quarantine. All right. You Bye. Thank you for listening to the Encourageous Podcast. I hope today's story left you feeling encouraged and inspired. Come back every other Thursday for a new episode and be sure to subscribe. Your support makes a world of a difference, especially for a new and bi-weekly podcast like this one. If you want to connect with me on social, you can find me on both Instagram and Facebook at The Encourageous Podcast. Until next time, stay encourageous. Encourageous.